X's for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things movies, music, media, comics, and more, check out Cage Club at cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Hey everybody and welcome back to another all new X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of Marvel's Merry Mutants week after week through their many vaunted titles. Now I'm Nico and you guys can find me at Nico Action on Twitter and Instagram. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And today, while we're not going to be dealing with the happenings on Krakoa directly, we're still going to be taking a look at a number of titles with some incredible mutant appearances. Now first up is X-Men Demon Days number one by Peach Momoko, Ariana Mar, and Zach Davison. Now... While the first two amazing ladies on this title get a lot of love in the context of our episode, we didn't give enough praise to the translator, Zach Davison, who you guys should check out on Twitter. He did an amazing job making this issue come to life, and we even learned a little bit about one of our favorite moments through talking with the creative team over on Twitter, so I definitely recommend that. Now, in this segment, myself, Nathan, Blake, Jonah, and special guest Tori Sheehan, who is a comics pro, she's been with us a number of times, she's amazing, talk about this incredible, unique universe and the blending of traditional Japanese folklore with the complex identities of the X-Men universe, and the synthesis is something incredible, and we hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did. Welcome, everybody, to a really special episode of X's for Podcast. We are covering Demon Days X-Men. This is by Peach Momoko. Now, Peach does the story and the arts on this. Zach Davison is doing the English adaption, and the lettering, which is phenomenal in this issue, is by Viciana's Ariana Mayher. I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm your friendly neighborhood X-Nerd, Blake. You can find me on Twitter and Insta at BTMorgan85. Hey everybody, I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey folks, I'm Tori. You can find me on Instagram at SMTori and on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan. And I'm Jonah, who is live reporting on the scene. You can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. And I'm not being dramatic when I say this. I would literally die for Peach. Peach Momoko has woven together a breathtakingly beautiful tale mixing Japanese folklore and X-Men mythology in a visually stunning way. Uh, the tale centers on Suki, that's the Mokoverse version of Mirage, Sai, who's the Mokoverse version of Psylocke, and Logan, who is the Mokoverse version of Wolverine. And it sets the story beautifully in a compelling tale set in feudal Japan. Personally, I found this amazing mixture of Japanese folklore and the X-Men uh, to be an intoxicating mix, where it was familiar enough, but it was also different enough to be really exciting what was you guys thought about it was it it, it was, <laughs> logan's a dog, logan's a dog. Yes. so you already have me you you have me at a 10 from go okay and like so and then it's just sort of like this traveling warrior sigh which i love the sigh play on sigh for sigh and like she's so unassuming and i'm so in love with her and so she's just walking through and she's got her dog and she's just like doing her thing and then there's this little girl and this little girl's like i'm gonna fuck some shit up and she's like i'm used to this i'm here for it right and 
okay, I was maybe a little bit thrown by Princess Vanellope Jubilee. <laughs> but like, yes. she looked cute. She was right, so adorable. Like, this is one of those things where I I went into this book expecting to and with love throw away about four dollars. Because I don't expect a story. I don't expect anything more than some really beautiful art from a sort of vanity project like this. A sort of prestige project like this is usually about the Eisner and the credit. It's not usually about providing a single serving story that is fulfilling, unique. And don't get me wrong, it was a little light on plot in some ways. But like, I walked away saying, I'm glad I spent every penny this is worth some of the variant covers. Like I, I had a really good time better than I expected for sure. Yeah. I was really pumped for it. Uh, I've, I've been, so it's funny. Peach Momoko is like uh, Funko figures for me. Initially I was like, I don't get it. Um, I don't understand why people want to buy all these things until I got my first peach variant, which was the, the snow giant's daughter. And peach did a really beautiful cover for that. And I picked that up and I was like, okay. And then that was, that was my first one. And it's like getting your first Funko. And then it's like, Oh, I need every fucking, one of these that they ever put out ever in the world and then i started you know buying peach covers and uh looking up older peach covers that are really expensive the fallen angels one that matches the new x-men cover she just put out with the wolves and stuff so anyway i was really pumped because her cover work blows me away and i was really really excited to see how she handled interiors which in my humble nerdy opinion she slayed every single panel like this book was gorgeous from beginning to end her writing and storytelling chops are uh up there with uh you know some of the best of the talent in the business i enjoyed this a lot i really hope she continues to do this i wonder about deadlines this can't be a simple project like nothing felt rushed so i kind of wonder if you know how many interior how, how much interior work she will take on just because of like you know deadline issues and timeliness and how long this takes her because i feel like i feel like each issue is going to be uh intense i'm i'm really excited for the next the next issues if I could just totally agree with everything Blake said for half a second, because like one of my nightmares is always like, you know, when a cover really bangs, like when a cover really bangs, it bangs so hard it fucks. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, if I could just get this person on interiors and you're like, oh, I'm going to get them on interiors. And you open the book for the first time and you're like, it's a cover. That's a couple of smaller covers. <laughs> That's more covers. This doesn't have a story. There's no narrative. This is trading cards. This is various size trading cards. How do you read this? This isn't a book. I've wasted all my money. My life is ruined, right? Like, that's the usual progression when a predominantly cover artist makes their way into interiors. The scope of storytelling, Blake, you really nailed exactly my feels on this. The scope of storytelling pacing really had me a thousand percent. So like not only did she do the story and the interiors, but she also did like the coloring and the lines. She did all of the art on the side. To me, obviously, I, I love this. This was a really good story to me. She made the transition well from just being a cover artist to a not only uh, a storyteller, but like just like visually and everything uh, all together. Uh, so you guys are all feeling the same way basically on that too, right? <laughs> I just have to say we stand a quadruple threat who can line, color, draw, and ink everything on her own we stand somebody with that that amount of talent like tori oh thank like you like we stand tori <laughs> 
No, this is gorgeous. This this issue reminded me of one of my favorite video game series of all time. And I don't know if I'm the only person here who played it, but if anybody here has ever played Okami, which is Capcom's interpretation of telling Japanese folk tale and sacred narratives through the eyes of playing as a wolf who is the goddess of Matarasu. And it's you traveling around Japan and saving the world. And it has this very beautiful, like almost hand brush styled art style that I see here. And it's a reinterpretation of these stories that I've known for so long and I am so respectful and intrigued by that I was so almost honored that I was able to get to experience this through someone who lives through lives in Japan and is of from that culture. So I was so happy to be able to get to experience that through their eyes. And I was kind of just blown away with how well, not only that it translated beautifully, but I feel like it just translates into the Western market it so well and how that she was able to drive this narrative in a way where it felt fun and like you understood that this was just I, I the only the only other comparison I can make to this of like how I felt in terms of glee and happiness is Kitty's fairy tale <gasps> and how it made me feel yeah. there it was so whimsical and magical nice. That's amazing. Yeah. For me, it was so, it's just so beautifully done and and so visually appealing to look at that I could like get lost in the little details of, of what this is going on. I do have to admit for me, I, because I'm not as familiar with these characters, I, I did spend a bit of time doing some quick Googling and making sure that I was understanding what I was supposed to be fully understanding. Um, I also think that this is a, also a triumph of the idea that um, Eastern art and manga and anime have moved into basically the mainstream of America to the point of it not being such a departure uh, to, to see something like this and to celebrate it in such a way. I mean, Nico was telling me that this sold out extremely well on the moment it hit the stands so and it is it is it is a triumph and i'm glad that we have reached the point in a global culture that we that the west can appreciate it as much as as we have for me also another standout thing in this book was the lettering this really let the lettering stand out in a way that sometimes we don't always see in um in like the marvel slate of comics you know everything's got a, a set look a set tone but in this one they let ariana Mayer, uh they let her play with it and have fun with it so and it makes a lot of sense because ariana Mayer actually has a lot of experience with anime and living in japan so you're talking about a letterer who has been immersed in the experience and the culture for quite some time, living in the place where this sort of art is still thriving and is the mainstream and the Americanized comics are sort of the bubbling underground sort of thing, right? So this was such a great utilization of so many talented uh, creators. And it stands to mind that on this cover page, you have Peach Momoko, you have Zach Davison, and you have VC's Ariana Mayer. And my first thought is that's two women. Like, that's such an important thing that there's only three people credited on this whole book, and two of them are women. And the women are responsible for everything visual, which is really significant. And I wonder how much that plays into that sort of identity of the book being so unique. I think about other times I've seen this done, like Sandman the Dream Hunters by Neil Gaiman, later readapted by P. Craig Russell. And 
that was a story in a similar vein, but told by all men. And not that to say that there's any, you know, oh, well, this, there, that, you know, just, you know, it's sort of really interesting how now we're seeing a very different take on that same idea through a more progressively inclusive lens. Most of the characters in the book are women, too. It's very, like, women empowering. The warriors of this, you know, little town are, are all women. It's Suki, the younger, who I kind of, like, I know all the X-Men are kind of represented in these new characters. I was kind of wondering if Suki was Gabby. She's Mirage. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I definitely like saw it as Danny. Yeah. Okay, okay. Oh, because the arrows. I get that, too. Yeah. Gabby is such a hard character to nail down because she looks like Laura, but she's not Laura, <laughs> but she looks like Laura, but, you know, she's got the sage tattoos right so like i get the thing there but yeah angry willful has to slay the monster by herself won't listen to anybody has trouble taking advice from her elders that sounds like danny moonstar it's danny moonstar to a t danny <laughs> moonstar suki yeah. translating to moon uh bow oh, and arrow i didn't know that oh my god suki means no no that's why she's yusuke tosino like that's that's the sailor moon girl oh my god that's insane. <laughs> All right, so we, could, like, we could cut that so I don't sound dumb, right? <laughs> no. No, because literally, I went looking. I was like, Google, 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 Suki, X-Men, what is this? And it was just like, I don't know who you're talking about. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it's a new girl. We have a new girl. <laughs> Google sassed you about your X knowledge, <laughs> yes. and that's how it went. It does every it's time. Like, it does Google was like, do you even comics? I'm like, shut up, Google. Oh. It's it's always the best when like search engines or like you know your voice like Siri or like Alexa just read you. Did you mean this? Oh. <laughs> the first beautiful splash page on the book sets up the story as a struggle between humans and the yokai. The yokai are spirits of a myriad of shapes and styles. Uh, with our main sets of antagonists to be Hulk, Maru, and Venom. These are Momoko versions of obviously the Hulk and Venom combined beautifully with characters from Japanese folklore, uh, the Great Snake and the Red Oni. Uh, this being as an alternative analog to the X-Men, did it take you out of the story somewhat to have these big Marvel mainstays and not X-Men characters represented as the main antagonist? No, but for like a really specific reason, I associate Hulk with Logan. Like, I know uh, it might even be a little bit unfair, but I associate Hulk with Logan. You know, Logan's first appearances in the pages of Incredible Hulk 170 to 172. Hulk and Logan have had a number of run-ins throughout the years. Eventually, we would go on to get, and I don't give a shit, it's amazing, Hulk Vereens. Hulk Vereens is like, what Hulk Vereen is one of my favorite things. I just don't care. Um... And you know what? Red Hulk and that connection to Captain America through Red Hulk. So then that fact that Captain America is the original weapon, like, I'm fine with it. I can make so many allowances. I can just fuck myself sideways till the book makes sense, right? It's just so beautiful. I'll make it make sense, right? The shoe will fit no matter the size of the foot. And I here's the thing. Venom is everywhere, right? So if that makes this book sell better, if that gives this sort of idea of Easternizing comics with actual Eastern voices getting a chance to tell unique stories that relate to their cultural experience, then I'm here for it. You know, make the book sell so that there can be more books. There is nothing. Uh, who else would you put the fuck? You put in Shadow King and then you're just telling Vita and Rod's new mutants, right? What else? You could, who else could you put in that role? for the x-men some sort of a zezel counterpart so it's fine that it's venom i don't really care i mean uh... 
<laughs> he looks cool. He, he does. Oh so my god. Cool. I think for me, it's a really interesting interpretation of uh, Orochi in that they chose Venom, and I can see the similarities in Orochi's history of where okay, if we're trying to tell a story about Orochi, but we're trying to make it through Marvel characters, who's our best bet to fill that role? And I think Venom kind of fills that role really well because, in a sense, you can kind of make an argument for Venom being a yokai. He's you know a little spiritual, especially with things going on in King and Black with all these mysticism and you know null and everything so i can see that idea of where it can be venom and i'm not sure outside of maybe the random demons that happen to just reside on xavier uh at the xavier school like in the graveyard like in x-men 96 when there's just a bunch of demons that just happened to come out of the graveyard for no reason and i was like oh kurt's family and they were like no these just demons are more short. and we got uh machine gun moira yeah there's nobody else who i think it fit <laughs> And if I can, for just one moment, on the subject of Venom and things being new and different, later on this exact episode, you're going to be able to hear Rod and Juan talking a bit about the revolutions from King and Black number four and about how things that we thought were symbiotes aren't exactly that clear cut and things that we never knew could be symbiotes might actually be more than we thought. So if you want to know more about this very Venom-centric episode, I guess, keep on listening and you can get a little bit more about exactly the fate of the current universe symbiote i can't wait to hear that their stuff is always amazing when they record together <laughs> so it really cute. is they have such a good time and i love and like i can't take out some of their laughing together because it's too cute it's so adorable <laughs> i found these characters so instantly for me at least they were instantly recognizable so suki like you kind of said too before in her first encounter with hulk maru she shows herself as every bit headstrong as mirage um i and when we're introduced to sai colors so recognizable um, as is the personality. Now, in here, she's a bit of a mercenary offering to join Suki's class in hope for lodging. But she really takes an early, like, shine to Suki. And incredibly quick, I seem, I feel like there's a really strong sisterly bond that's formed between the two of them, just because I believe Sai really sees self in some of Suki. Um, were, did you guys all get the warm and fuzzies about this conversation, too, that they had when they were introduced to each other? Because I love so much. Yes, 110%. Also, <laughs> I just, I think I will forever call Psylocke Sai from now on. It's so so metal and badass. Forever. Yes. Like, oh my god. Fit. It's it's perfect. The only thing I could really hope is that is that like man, if we if we could get like a nod in a in a future uh X comic where like instead of her uh like Psy Blade, if she has like a Psy Psy, oh god, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Um just just as like a nod to this, because I I just think this is like Nico said earlier, you know, a lot of people thought that this may be a vanity project, that this was like, you know, that it might feel forced and it, it was a big name doing another x title where we're flooded with new x titles right now and some of us are you know questioning how we're going to keep affording this x lifestyle um which is just getting more expensive and more expensive and this wasn't this it, i don't think this is going to be that this is going to be something bigger and better and more important and and i uh back to like talking about the the villains i thought it was really smart to include venom just to kind of make it current in a way uh like we said venom is everywhere venom and null and this whole huge king and black event are happening and i thought this was a good nod to that without like forcing some like event not like, this couldn't have been a tie-in but like a heavy-handed like just so you know like we're still fighting null which we kind of get in in the new issues of sword and stuff and so like I was glad that this had 
a nod and then that was it and then it just kept telling its own story and i also really love that logan is a dog and it's interesting because i was thinking about origins oh yeah he has an older brother named dog logan that looks like Sabretooth that then showed up in the pages of origin 2 and wolverine and the x-men i want to say it's numbers 20 to 25 it's the fill-in arc by ramon perez between major arcs by nick bradshaw who would return to finish out his run on wolverine and the x-men with the hellfire saga I know my Logan. (laughs) (laughs) I think Peach has a really good knowledge of X history, which shines in this narrative. Oh, for sure. Oh, God. It's so charming because they're both. It's one of those things where I do love when two people first meet, but it's not quite cross purposes, but they're both. They would be ships in the night if they didn't ding each other along the way. And to me, this was just a really beautiful moment. I mean, it's it's smaller because there's a lot going on on the page. But you can see that Sai has a little smile as Suki is running away that she's just like, oh, like. I have found a kindred in in you. I we can work together and then it gels together and moves forward as one. And so I think that to get from I am alone to now we are two in five panels in in such a clean and and easy to grasp emotional beat is is a hallmark of someone who should continue to be allowed to storytell. This is beautiful. So that kind of brings me to like just a, a, another kind of question. So Tori, you're not as much of a uh, X-Men, avid X-Men reader as maybe the rest of us are. Um, did this iteration of an X-Men story, did it seem X-Men enough to you? Was it enough to get you maybe as more of an X-Men outsider to want to read more of the X-Men tales? Or were you just like, oh, I really love this art in the story? <laughs> I actually, it's actually really interesting because I, I mentioned this to Nico this morning. Um and I said that this is a beautiful beginning, a beautiful cold open to a series. But if I were to go to someone else who does not read X-Men and say, you're gonna, this is exciting, this is new, this is, this is gonna be the next big thing, I probably would have waited until there was two or three more issues to get so that we're into the actual plot. Because I don't think we're coming back to this. Yeah. I believe that we move forward with the frame at the the end and so as beautiful as this is and how gorgeous and how interesting um it it won't have any much reckoning on what comes next so you can't become too attached to what you just read in these pages so i think it's a great a great foundation to build off of and a great way to, sh- to do the world building in 35 pages so that you don't have to do it later but as a way to to introduce someone when there aren't other issues come out i would say wait so that's a good point it's a good point because kind of piggybacking on off of what you said the next the next story is coming out in june and it's going to be demon days mariko yashida so Mm-hmm. Kind of like what Blake was saying a little earlier about being maybe worried about the deadlines. I, I think Marvel gave themselves enough time to make sure that Peach was able to tell this tale and not be rushed at all to have the art colors of everything line up so perfectly. But yeah, we're getting the next one in June. So that is something that I'm super excited for. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's going to be gorgeous. I could definitely see this being one of those collections once it's all finished that gets that that just flies off the shelves. Like everyone can be into it. Ooh, I need the big XL artist edition. Yes. You know, can I ask a weird counter question of myself about the question you asked Tori? So you said to Tori, as a sort of like toe dippy X fan, did 
this book make you want to like put your whole foot in or something? And you know, I hadn't. I mean, I'd made the connection between you know the red yokai, I said the red oni, and the the snake. And you know, as I'm looking at this book, I, I see the subtle way that you get the hiss of the snake in the symbiote dripping off of the roof of the temple. And the subtle way that that, through art, indicates that it's a snake. This interpretation, this idea. It's like chasing almost, it's almost like chasing an illusion. And then when you see in the next page, the snake at the door, it's, yeah, it looks like a giant monster, like a dragon sitting in a lair. But at the same time, it's a snake ready to strike. And there's so many layers and there's so much depth to this that not to take from Peach in any way, but I assume that some of this is traditions of the art style. And it makes me want to know more about Japanese folk art, modern retellings. I know a lot about Lone Wolf and Cub from both having worked at a comic book shop and being alive during the age of the Mandalorian. And I've been lucky enough to read, you know, the great selections of Eastern art that, you know, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse have been importing for years. I'm a big Cardcaptor Sakura fan. And so I have some experience with anime and manga, but not nearly as much with Japanese folktelling. And, you know, I think about how many times I've been lucky enough to go to the Met. I have, you know, I have a membership there and I can't wait for museums to be back to normal so I can go back. And how many hours I've just lost myself in the Japanese silk printing. And how many hours you can just get lost like studying this because the details are so rich. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And the transition between arts, how totally different styles look perfect together. It kills me. It kills me. I'm dead. So I had a pretty cool Saturday night last night. Well, cool in, in, a, in, a, in a quarantine cool kind of way because um, I was at home and I watched a movie by myself and read some comic books. <laughs> but I watched, uh, I watched this new movie called Swordsman and it was this brand new, it like has all these great tomato ratings and it was this beautiful like historical Japanese flick about these, these like this blind sword fighter and the choreography was so beautiful and i've been kind of getting into like theming my nerd nights so i knew like you know i i watched the swordsman movie um i read demon days again and i started flipping through i started uh on my uh, blade of the immortal deluxe edition i just got and so i just had like this really awesome like japanese historical artistic evening last night and it got me really pumped for this morning too and and just even more excited for uh more more peach and more more of this series is it i noticed because we kind of just mentioned it at the end of this when we get the ad for the next issue are is this going to be like just a, a series of one shots that tie in together do we think because it's not yes they're, so they're renumbering. yeah okay i'm cool i'm i'm game like i'm sold they're all tied together by the location they're all set in the same location and she's supposed to be building her own momoko verse is what they're calling it kind of so far to tie everything together but they're all set in the same location the momoko verse is the coolest fucking thing i've heard from marvel in a very long time like if they right? don't use that phrase they're, they're dumb, <laughs> they're dumb. More Jubilee, more Juju, more Juju, more Juju. I demand more Juju, more Juju. Jonah, she had to be the light of your life, but Juju, more Juju. Nathan, you are like, you're another 
you're another I love all of the ladies of Logan's world. So like more than you love him for sure. Absolutely. So, like, I, <laughs> like everybody loved this Jubilee, right? It wasn't just me in a vacuum. Oh my God. Yeah. This Jubilee. Perfection. She's so adorable. Like that was um that that was one of my things on here. I was like, you know, uh, Juju is so instantly recognizable as Jubilee. I loved uh getting the little history in the back of the book of the Jushi, which which is what she was sort of which was what she was mixed up with. Um and her personality is so recognizable when we get to the fight scene Keech does such an amazing job with the firework plays when she fights on it I, I could like live in those pages those panels forever just like I like set up a house you know hopefully I don't get evicted because I don't know if I could pay rent in there but <laughs> the good news uh, is currently during quarantine nobody can evict anybody right? so you just hang in there you get your fill I love this interpretation of Jubilee. I almost want to call her Jujubee. That is not correct. Completely different person, completely different name. Um, I just hear Juju and I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But what I love so much about this, especially the, I think what makes me so happy about this interpretation is the design. And I think it was a really interesting take to say, okay, well, how are we going to bring Jubilee into this? Jubilee's, and it's Jubilee's fireworks. And it's like, oh, make her sorceress. And um, the design of this Jubilee made me really think of Studio Ghibli movies and how I would see this kind of character design in one of those movies something like Howl's Moving Castle or something so I was really impressed with taking a character who already has a fantastic design I don't know about anybody else here I love Jubilee's design between the jacket and the glasses like it's one of my favorite you know character designs from the X from the X-Men and having it be in such a really different way that was so distinct to the era and the art style they were going for but still be like unique enough where I can it can look and be like oh oh shit this is wow this is a really beautiful way it, it just again whimsical ma magical beautiful i almost said magical ma magical i'm not from the midwest i promise <laughs> there's nothing wrong for me from the midwest i just I'm i was not like i was like hey hold on a second <laughs> tori did you recognize juju as jubilee I did. I did. I love how she feels younger in this. I've, I've recently realized that she has aged since I knew her in the 90s, but I love the youth that she brings. I wasn't 100% sure why they made her seem like she was taking advantage of the town in the beginning, but that just might be an I don't know everything about Jubilee issue. But she, I mean, like in a perfect world, she'd be chaotic neutral. Oh, yeah. She could have her way. She'd be a little bit reckless. She's a she's a good time gamer girl. She's a, she is Princess Vanellope. Okay. Yeah. So I really I just loved her and I loved how it felt like um the there was the youth protecting the town just needed a little help from someone with a little more wisdom to get them past this particular confluence of enemies. I thought the whole yeah. the whole Juju Jubilee uh deal was just done insanely right in this issue. Uh first of all, I just kind of like that no one really has powers. They're all just talented and great fighters and we use these different mechanics to to um, kind of showcase the, the powers that we know they have without giving them, you know, mutant abilities. The fireworks was so great. And also really genius on Peach's part just to show more 
not that she needed to like flex her art uh, because this whole book does it. Uh, but like Nathan pointed out earlier, when the fireworks are going off, it's so beautiful. Every Everything is so beautiful. Nothing is too chaotic. Nothing is too distracting. Some of the best action, action I've seen uh, in recent X-Men comics. I mean, it, this this stands, the, the action sequences we get here like uh, stand to like when um, uh, when we get um, when, oh, the alien, when they come for the egg uh, in the X-Men. I can't think. It's too early. The brood. The brood, yes. When oh, the yeah. brood come. Uh, I'm like, the when X-Men. they come for the egg. Oh, they did to Emma in Warsong? Yes. I thought I thought you were going like Phoenix egg. I was like, the Char, but. <laughs> no, no. That was one of the, the busiest, bigger battles that we've had in, in the recent X-Men comics. And I think this like one-ups it so big and, and so wonderful. And yeah, and Jubilee. You know, I, the town needs to give her more apples. She deserves all the apples. Yeah. And I think the town needs to give her more fruit and vegetables and they're just, they're not doing enough for her. I will bend the knee to Juju all day. She can she can save the town and eat all the apples. No questions. Don't at me. I will not be taking questions at this time. <laughs> Not your problem, and not Juju's problem. No, because they vanquished Venom. They did. No, no, Jonah, I did have to ask you a question. Since you seem a little bit more well-versed in the Japanese folklore than a lot of us, did these characters seem to ring true to the analog? Yes, I think what was so amazing about this, and it was something I was thinking about when you were, uh, you and Tori were speaking about, you know, if you're not the biggest X fan or you don't have as much X knowledge and you're dipping your toes in this, would you recommend this? To which I would say yes, and I want it to coincide with, you know, the question you just asked me. It's a really beautiful interpretation of how we would see these characters if this was an actual story from Japanese myth and sacred narratives. I think that it really rings true that Sai is this wandering samurai with her wolf companion just looking for a bed and willing to trade her sword for it. And it's something that we see in so many different interpretations of anime or samurai movies that it's a it's a code of honor that they have, as if you're a good samurai, I should say. And it's how the town treated their sorceress. I know that we were talking about that. It seems like Juju was taking advantage of the town, but in reality, Juju's the only only way that the town actually would have any form of protection to begin with so them almost worshiping her and having to give her offerings does make sense and that's something else that we see a lot in that there will be this powerful magus or character that can use the magic or exorcist who can communicate with the spirit slash yokai you'll see them be given offerings or they'll be seen at uh, areas of worship like temples so it's a lot of great details of putting these characters in places where if i was reading this if someone told me that this was just it wasn't an x book and told me this was an interpretation of a japanese myth i would have fully believed it because it's written in that way and it's paced in that way from what i know that it makes sense and that's what it feels like it like feels like this actually came out of mythology oh no but guys this is we're we're 30 plus minutes into this and we haven't talked about it yet so i'm just gonna i'm gonna swipe everything off the table the obama baby Oh, is that what that is? <laughs> it's a big oh, version of the Hulk's nemesis, the Abomination. I so didn't the Abomination even catch that. is this green little motherfucker with like little coming out of his face, and like he kind of also looks a little bit like a bomb, who is Rick Jones as a blue Hulk, 
right? And then, of course, there's Red Hulk, who's the Rolk. And then there's Shulky, who's the Green She-Hulk. And then there's Rolky, who's the Red She-Hulk. And then there's the best Hulk by far, Amadeus Cho, who is the totally awesome Hulk, who is also the seventh, now eighth smartest man in the world, because Moon Girl is the number one smartest person in the world. And don't you forget it. So... Um, like I, I really thrown myself down the Hulk rabbit hole the last couple of months, really getting into the Amadeus Cho run of a uh, totally awesome Hulk. And then later his incredible Hulk and now his champions. And I got to say little baby abomination was like my whole world. Give me that fat <laughs> little monster baby. I just want to pick him up with his little blankie. So oh. It was and the, he's the, hungry. Belly, the belly button is what did it for me. Like the oversized <laughs> belly button. I was just, I, was like, I oh know. My God. It's crazy how popular like making little baby things is right now because of Grogu. It's just like everything we get now is going to have a cute little baby in it and we're all going to go to war for it and be ready to die for it. And that's just, that's just how the new things are in, in the pandemic. We get cute little baby weird things. And we well, I'm going to say comics. With comics, this has been coming for a while. We were talking about this with Scotty Young, how in 2010, he did an X-Babies miniseries and no one cared. Nobody thought shit about the covers. And then two or three years later, he did the wraparound 50 character X-Baby cover for Midtown Comics. And as he put it, you would have thought I invented bread because he could not handle the influx. And now there is always, every month, there is some sort of Marvel Scotty Young baby cover. And, you know, some of those beautiful House of X powers of 10 ones with everybody with their giant heads. Like, we see a little body and a giant head and we're like, it's a Powerpuff girl. I both want to protect it and be saved by it. And like... And, and you know, squish it. <laughs> squish it. We want to squish things we love. And like, yeah. Baby Abomination, Obama Baby was, I'm not saying Obama Baby, but a... Like a baby Abomination I, Baby. Abomb yeah. Baby. But I would love, like genuinely, I would find a, like Obama, like a Scotty Young style Chibi Obama doll. I would love that. And I would just help it grow up to be a great president also not to be confused with a sentient bomb that is a baby right not a bomb baby or a really cool baby a bomb baby right yo that baby's the bomb right that's a bomb baby he's got a leather jacket got a lollipop in his mouth and got sunglasses on wow we are we're showing our age with our slang here just tommy pickles right there that's tommy pickles it's tommy pickles with a da for some reason uh and when he goes to the bar he orders an apple juice and he says, leave the bottle. Leave the <laughs> bottle. So, feudal Japan. <laughs> feudal Japan. So, <laughs> the, uh, you know, we touched on it a little, but the battle sequence, which takes up the majority of the last end of the book, to me, is just so epic. Um, it, it really feels like one of those grandiose battles that you would hear of in a folklore tale. Did you guys all have a favorite part of this very beautiful, epic fight scene? Or, like, move it all over? I loved the usage of Logan without the overusage of Logan. We know he's Logan, so we're like, all right, he's going to be important in some way. And for him to just basically be running protection the whole time was, the, I think, the right choice in a story that is very much about the women. And while still continuing to say, yeah, Logan's here, so we have to use him. He, you can't not. You can't pretend he's not here. Wow. I, I know we mentioned it in part earlier, but no one human isn't a woman. 
Yeah, no, I, I, I just realized that as well. Like the faceless men who show up to say, oh my God, Venom's here. Like that's the closest we get to non-monster men. The only people with agency in this book are women or male monsters. <laughs> Love it. My favorite pages from the fight sequence, if you're reading digitally, pages 24 and 25, and it's specifically those slices from Sai's katana when she's saving uh, Logan or she's cutting off the tongue. And what I love so much about it is we were talking about how we love these interpretations of these characters as non-mutants, but how do you give a wink-wink, nudge-nudge their powers? And it's these beautiful purple slices that are very reminiscent of uh, Psylocke's powers and how she uses her katana slash her side blades. And I think it's so beautiful. And it was a really great little touch to be able to be like, no, this is exactly the character you think this is supposed to be. Back to Juju. The battle is so beautiful. It made me laugh at the end of the battle the venom is defeated the snake you know dissipates into the air and everybody's like oh we did it and then we get this one panel of juju and she's like meditating and in her fancy sweet room and, and she's just like whoo like, <laughs> got me so the good matches around. the little matches that are like a little well yeah i to me the equivalent of this was the end of poltergeist this house is clean like that's that's <laughs> what i got from this because she's just like, like or love it. or cabin boy after he has sex with the goddess these pipes are clean <laughs> <laughs> yes yes that is a very specific <laughs> reference and i only watch cabin boy to look for that line <laughs> i did not care about the rest of the movie I also want to give a really intense shout out to the uh, super majesty that they captured Logan with uh, toward the end of the dream sequence. Now, like Logan and Psylocke's relationship is such a complicated thing from the comics. They kind of don't have one. And then once they do, it's super manufactured. There's really nothing that gives Psylocke and Logan any connection except perhaps uh, a mutual hate on for Sabretooth until she gets horribly you know um she gets horribly transformed against her will and she becomes psylocke this you know fusion being and one of the things that i think is significant about that is at that point she and logan get this connection and jubilee those stories were psylocke jubilee and logan learning how to be adults together and I had just kind of assumed that Logan getting a scar over his eye was sort of like, I don't want to sound dumb, but I'm like, oh, it's Age of Apocalypse. Just fucking cut his eye up. Or like, you know. But Tori, you had raised a point, and then I went, oh, it's Orin from Final Fantasy X, and I hadn't even thought about it before you said something. Because in my head, I'm like, oh, it's X-Men canon. But like, as somebody with an outside perspective, you raised something that made me go, oh? Yeah, it, there's a lot of the ideas in, in anime and manga of like um, the injured and scarred warrior being braver and wiser. And and uh, to me, that, that sort of felt like what Logan was was getting here was, was the marks of, of what makes him a, a great fighter. And, like, the fact that they were able to give this dog this kind of dignity, this sort of majesty, you know, when I think about animals in the Avengers, sure, I think about Thorgy, and I think about Frog Thor, I guess I think about a lot of animal iterations of Thor, (laughs) right? But, you know, you've also got Lockjaw, and you've got Lockheed, okay, so they're all Thor or Lock something, I'm I'm losing the plot, but I I think of maybe Pizza Dog, 
right? Uh, you know, from Hawkeye by Fraction and Aja and Wu. And I think about what a spectacular character that was. And yet he still wasn't on the level of a hero the way in one issue, Dog Logan, who isn't Dog Logan, but is Dog <laughs> Logan, manages to represent uh, pretty instantly. And I just think that's a really special touch that indicates to me something from Eastern comics, because that doesn't feel native to Western comics from the dearth of examples I can come up with. I'm sorry, Ace the Bat Hound or whatever. But like, I just, or, you know, Vertigree, the Green Lantern Grasshopper. I don't know. But like, it's Krypton. just you know, Crypto the Super Dog. Yeah. yeah. I love him. And uh, Speedy, Speedy the Flash Cat. No, Zippy, Zippy the Flash Cat. Isn't there a Flash Cat? This is a lot of 80s references. Doesn't Speedball have a like cat that bounces around too? I forget his name. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, I just really loved a lot of the touches on this. It was a really well-thought psychological perspective on these characters for such a small amount of time. For such a small-scale first issue that had a lot of foregone conclusions as kind of the, the setup, I feel like I got a lot of character growth which made up for any shortcomings of, I don't want to say originality, but inability to break free of tradition. I Kind of going back to Wolverine, because that's what I was calling him instead of Dog Logan, Wolverine. But um, I just, the I loved the quick bond that Suki and Logan formed. It really reminded me of Danny Moonstar's animal telepathy that she has in the book and like the quick bond that she was able to make with uh, most notably Bright Wind. Um, See, that was another reason why I kept thinking, Gabby, in, in my incorrect analysis that just Sorry. continues in this podcast, but the when she rides Wolverine, I was just, I was like, I just could not, she's like riding him and shooting arrows, and, and I was just like, oh man, it's, it's Gabby and Jonathan. Like, it's, it just reminded me oh. of Gabby and Jonathan so much, but I was wrong. I was, I was very, very wrong. My name is Blake, and... Uh... <laughs> I'm not wrong often, but when I'm wrong, I bring it up all damn day. I will say Wolverine looks very huggable, and I was a little sad that Suki didn't give him a big fluffy hug at the oh end. Oh, I know. He's such he a good boy. So he deserves that. I know. He's Mr. Floof, and he's like, I love you. And, and I love the, the scar over the eye, obviously, was a great sort of like nod to the patch persona that Logan in 616. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, yes, I love that touch. I think that one of the touches that made me go, okay, you get me, you get my fandom, was, you know, when you're trying to think about the ways to encapsulate somebody, and this goes a lot to the heart of, like, um, mimicry performance, right? Or there's um, there's chefs who their whole job is to make a dish that tastes exactly like another chef, right? And there are performers whose whole job it is to capture another performer's performance exactly. And they'll tell you the key is not necessarily getting it note for note. It's about capturing the essence of the other thing in a believable way, right? Now, when you're creating an analogous version, especially a version removed by centuries, you're going to wind up with some miscues where like somebody doesn't see that as this, right? That's why people love to put Iron Man in big armor because mm -hmm. you can easily put Iron Man in Japanese armor. I recently purchased a beautiful statue of Logan as sort of a Calavetta Aztec street art uh, piece from Unruly Studios because, you know, these big claws, the exaggerated mask looking demonic, these are things that'll parallel well. 
And then you ask me, how can you make a 13-year-old girl dressed in a trench coat look really believably that same character in Feudal Japan? The earrings. It's so dumb. But those earrings being anachronistic, but still being within the stylized interpretation that this world allowed for, created a sort of homogenized parallel that, like, created the escape. It felt like an AU of a universe I loved in a way that didn't require much outside of these dolls are playing well. It's sort of the best things about fan fiction and the best things about a movie adaptation. And I really just thought, like, getting the earrings this iconographic element you know it's the wolverine hair pointies it's knowing that you know the red skull has a giant skull and that the punisher has a giant white skull but turning the punisher skull red doesn't make him the red skull it's it's understanding what the iconography means and there's something so elegant in capturing that her earrings are a necessary part of her visual iconography that really does it for me. Her earrings have the X logo on them. They do. It's so cute. Like, oh my God, I love it. And, and like talking about the same lines uh, when Suki is like, every time you see her with the bow and arrow uh, and even her whole wardrobe is very reminiscent of things that they've had Danny Moonstar wear at various different times. And obviously the bow is a huge part of her power set. And the uh, the red mark across her eyes representing her, some of her earlier headpieces, I thought was a really great touch. And you know what's incredible? I I have to give it up to Jim Lee in a really weird retroactive way. When Jim Lee created the Psylocke look, who could have known its dexterity as 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 an evocative image? Because there's no question that that's fucking Psylocke. That's that's fucking Psylocke, right? But like. She feels different and the same and unique and and familiar. And that's something that's so hard to get right. That takes a really great design in the first place and then a really great designer to come in and interpret. And that's something that this book did. It took a lot of things that I thought couldn't work together and interpreted them in a logical fluidity. And I really liked that. I, I just can't wait for the second one. It can't be June fast enough. Like this really, this really set me a flutter. You know, speaking of Psylocke or size outfit, I love how the, like obviously very reminiscent of the classic uh, ninja jumpsuit, but it's also got color themes, a little bit of the Betsy Captain Britain look. So like, I kind of look how, yeah, I know. I was like, I was like the blues and there's like, you know, just a right color set. It kind of, it evoked both of those characters merging. Wow, there's a whole lot of Psylocke's running around the Marvel Universe right now, and none of them are Psylocke. <laughs> and that brings us to the last pages, which sets up the next tale for the Demon Day Saga, which is going to focus on, obviously, the Mariko Yoshida character. Um, and it looks like the Black Widow is her companion in this. Yeah. Also, we get a little glimpse that Logan may still be around, which, oh my god, yay. Are you guys excited? I mean, obviously, I didn't know the answer to this already, but are you guys excited for this, uh, this new story? Is this going to be a good continuation? point do you think this whole shared universe is going to be as exciting in the second edition? I just this minute got that that's Black Widow because of the hairpin. The hairpin yeah. So yeah. I have to Nico, I, have I to... literally texted you who is this Kuroki bitch and, and then the next one literally said oh I should just flip the page Victoria <laughs> <laughs> But it doesn't say who it is so like... <laughs> didn't see it? Well I mean and then the that's a widow. The sort of can on the ground looks the same, so... 
Yeah, maybe the real villain of this entire story was pollution and littering. Who did <laughs> a soda can? Well, they're, Who I did mean, that? I, get, I get what they're saying because that's the rock that they left the vegetables at. So, like, this is very much saying, like, back then we we settled this. Everything's good. Hulk is getting carrots. The abomination will be fed. And now we're getting, you know, it's a city now. The rock has been forgotten. What is lurking in the trees? And Logan is a little concerned. Well, and like, that's amazing because speaking of this era, speaking of the Psylocke Jubilee era with Wolverine, Wolverine had another famous trio story in that time period, which was Captain America, Wolverine, and Black Widow. So this just like, this went from like, like, I don't like to give things tens it's you know it's dangerous it sets a precedent for nothing can be better but i was like ready to grade this at like a 9.8 and try and get somebody to buy it in a nice mylar but like now i gotta push it to like a 9.91 because this is hitting all my fandom feels in a really gushy kind of good way yeah it, it's already becoming expensive for me i have three covers on the way there's about oh wow eight more i really want um like some really like david mack yeah david mack did one uh kale new did one uh inhyuk lee has a really good one i know j scott campbell isn't everybody's favorite but he did like the one in 50 and it's real pretty but that one's kind of expensive it's a lot of my price range but yeah i'm i'm literally about to drop a like hundred bones <laughs> Um, just covers for this, this number one issue like i just i really want all these i'm i'm such a oh man it, uh, store exclusive covers like i'm such a junkie for those and I oh, just, you are i really need my fix for this series and i'm really scared that they're gonna do this for like every issue like every every each one of the six issues <laughs> is gonna have like eight covers that i just need in my life and it's sort of terrifying, but I'll, I'll roll with it. If they're this spaced out, I would not be surprised if it's not a one-for-one one cover along the way. I absolutely love, Blake, when you get the your mail call on it, because, like, those are some of the best hosts I've ever seen. Like, just, like, how many, like, they're massive sometimes, but you get. Mail call. Here's the mail. <laughs> um, and then uh, one of my favorite parts was or needed for me, and maybe not favorite, but, like, really needed was the Yokai Files at the very last page of the book, which really helped bridged my huge gaps in the knowledge of Japanese folklore and helped kind of helped me see what these characters were supposed to be translated in. Um, was that as helpful for most of you guys as well? <laughs> yeah, I, I really Definitely. liked how it was bookended. That that first big splash page uh, where the art the art is still very peach but very different than what we get like through the actual narrative and then to it, like that's how we start and then we end it with, with this explanation that did not feel heavy handed and was written well. Sometimes like the bonus material and comics just like especially when it's a really powerful issue and you're like you're just like blown away and you're like wow and then like there's five pages of text about random stuff that happened in the comic and it just kind of like pulls you out of it and sometimes i don't even want to read it i'm like no like maybe later but yeah this was i thought it bookended the whole comic like really well really smart just uh, not enough praise for how great the storytelling is for every moment in this issue like i will stand this forever and if people say they don't like it i will i'll question your sanity i guess i mean everybody everybody can like their own thing i'm not trying to be like you know gatekeeper mcgee over here but this was really special and i really 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 want people to see how special it is and i want people to buy the shit out of this issue so that marvel maybe gets peach to do more of these in the future or other companies i just want to point out that you're treating the yokai files with a a great delicate gentle kindness but call them what they are they're data pages (laughs) just call them what they are is this is, <laughs> is is the fact that i'm like 
also an English major, the fact that I was like, this is the best thing to happen to like this, it, this series. I don't have to Google five new things. Like I can yeah. just like flip here, see a pretty image and get like the synopsis and be okay. Like, I think this is great. I love, I love getting my work cited in the background. That's what X-Men does now. Every issue of every <laughs> X-Book has two to five pages that are just like prose design pages that explain stuff that they just don't want to put in comic form anymore. And it's like Mr. Sinister telling rumors about everybody at his bar. <laughs> it's stuff like Cecilia Reyes being like, this is the genetic makeup of this person, which how the fuck do you put that in a comic book? And, uh, the, the battles get really heated yeah. on this show, as well as on X Twitter, about the nature and acceptability of how many data pages have made it into some of these books. We have had some people get real angry about the number of data pages. And... <laughs> Nico, we but... do this in our comic book. I love them. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. All right, just checking. Just checking. <laughs> I, I would love to see a bunch of panels of Sinister like whispering random rumors to people. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> just give him a blog. Why is he not a gossip girl? <laughs> XOXO Sinister. <laughs> XOSO, Sinister Girl. I know. <laughs> you know you love me. Oh, why did I think you were Maximilian? Okay. New fan art idea, Maximilian Pegasus and Sinister. Yeah, Pegasus Sinister is my new favorite. Pegasus Sinister. Uh, stop us. Stop us before it goes too far. Hey everybody, Nico here one last time, and in this last segment, it's one of my favorites, and I just, I look forward to introducing it so much. Rod and Juan are here to talk King in Black by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman, and their approach to this book is so amazing, and I just, there's no introduction I can give that's as much fun as listening to it. But before that, I just want to thank everybody for listening. If you like what you hear, you guys might want to drop a review over on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. If you like what you hear, you might even like what you see, so check us out over on Twitter and YouTube at X's for Podcast, and maybe even consider donating to the Patreon, where you guys can help decide the fate of the show going forward. As always, I'm Nico. You guys can find me at Nico Action, N-I-C-O on A-C-T-I-O-N, and until next time, guys, enjoy this last segment, keep those mutant lights lit, and those Kurgoan gateways open, and we'll see ya. Hi, welcome to the next segment of X's for Podcast. I'm Rodders. You can find me at Rod, the on Twitter and Instagram. And today we have with us Raven. Hey, it's your lovable queer art hole auntie Raven, a.k.a. Dame Red Bento. Come over and find me on Twitter. And with us, we have Robbie. How are you doing today? Hey, everyone. I'm good. I'm Robbie. And you can find me at Age of Polaris on Twitter. <laughs> and with us, we have Dante. <laughs> Hello, this is Dante, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Inferno Magic. All right, and today we will be talking about The Union, Issue 3. So, uh, The Union, Issue 3 is the Britannica Project, Part 3. There shall come a bulldog. The writer is Paul Grist. The penciler is Andrea DeVito. Inker, LeBeau Underwood. Colorist was Nolan Woodard. And the letterer is VC's Travis Lanham. Nice. And I know we talked about this in the green, in the green room, y'all, but like, I think this issue, this story really flourished finally in issue. Yes. Like, we're mm -hmm. not in, like, I like the, I'm obviously like the, um, the event King and Black, but I feel like King and Black did not need to be with the union mm -hmm. at all. I feel like it hindered the story and now we're actually finally getting 
getting to know the characters, kind of their backgrounds. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Finally. Finally. Uh, what did you think about it, Robbie? Uh, overall, I really liked how we were able to finally get to see more fire. <laughs> And uh, and I really like the reveal of like what she looks like out um the spark and how it had the I don't know what would you call that like that green like like the techno organic kind of feel yeah. to it oh yeah yeah oh it was so beautifully done it looked so good I loved it yeah and um, I definitely liked it yeah um I definitely agree that some of the King and Black stuff while in other books it's doing really good. But in this, it did hinder what they could have been getting to in issue two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it really feels like the whole, like, the King and Black angle with this book was shoehorned in to try to get people to pick up the book. Because it's a brand new group, a brand new story, new characters. So, yeah, it just, it just kind of felt awkward, for me at least. But this story, yeah, right track. Like, it feels, it feels more cohesive. It feels like what we should have had from the get-go, really. Yeah, I would definitely agree it definitely was kind of awkward it was like hey you know giant symbiote dragons but then they're like we're not really caring about those we have team drama it's like it's it's, it's too much going on too much too much much. right we didn't need all that we just needed the uk team after Mm -hmm. king and black that's what we needed it should have came out after or not or before whatever yeah no i'm so totally with you on that like this was what I wanted it to be doing in in episode two or issue two. Like King and Black, like King and Black is a cool storyline, but yeah, it just it really did not fit for this. And like episode issue three should have actually been issue two, and it should have just never touched King and Black overall. Exactly. So now that we've established what shouldn't happen, let's discuss what should happen. Um, we first <laughs> interact with Choir. You know, Choir is you know being in dis- like is stopping this robbery you know because she she has this power she can stop things even though she's supposed to be undercover for whatever reason we don't know why yet she's trying and to keep a low profile low profile definitely exactly but you know she's like she stops this robbery and she's like oh i was stupid i was stupid i shouldn't have done that like and she shouldn't have because obviously the big boss guy finds her and is like hiding in the bus apparently or the rv or whatever that is and mm-hmm. is like haha i found you it's time for you to face like the music so (laughs) what did you think about this new boss guy raven Uh, i thought it was okay i have to giggle at his name his name is doc croc i'm sorry but i had to giggle at that a little because i'm like doc oh no doc croc really 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 but overall like i like his design and i like the like the kind of the way uh choir recoils from him so you can tell like there there there's a lot of backstory a lot of history to this guy i i like him i i like him and he feels like he is sinister and dangerous and i'm here for it i want to see what the history is between these two because he knows her apparently really well and she knows him so like what's going on like i need to know now yeah i mean i hope we get more because i know like uh robbie said in the green room that this is actually a five issue story Mm. so after this issue we're only going to get two more issues so (laughs) that kind of makes me sad because i feel like we're just getting in the groove and i want and Mm -hmm. i want more non-american books yeah so the fact that it's about to end and we don't know if anything's going to come after it 
it really kind of sucks. <laughs> mm-hmm. But so we go into the next little issue and we get Union Jack out of uniform. Mm-hmm. And he's like in, in bed, kind of like scruffy, like muscly kind of like this. It's artist drew him really well. Like, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed like the little muscly, hairy arms and everything. It got me in my soul a little bit. <laughs> really? It, Your soul? That's where it got you? <laughs> that's where it got me. You know, I, I'm keeping it. I'm keeping it PG. It got me in my soul and my little gay soul. <laughs> Mental <laughs> note. That's what Rod calls it. That's what I call it. No, it is a part of me. So. <laughs> what did you think about this whole thing, Dante? I enjoyed this little scene. It's kind of fun. I feel like a lot of times, you know, we put uh, superheroes on a pedestal, right? They they seem so glamorous. Here he just seems kind of like a, a disaster, like in his personal mm-hmm. life. He's just, he's messy. He, I mean, his place is just got garbage everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's like one step o- removed from having his mattress on the floor. Like, you know, like... <laughs> He, he barely has that going for him, that, that it's not uh, not just sitting on the floor. But, you know, I also feel like they've been portraying him as a superhero as not being very popular either. So I guess in a lot of ways, it's nice to see that not every hero is just revered. And he, not every hero has mm-hmm. their life together either. But it's, it's a fun little peek into him. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I... <laughs> I feel like one of my favorite moments in this whole issue is that they create a American version of Puck. Yes. I I was yes. like where this story is oh is God. fun. It's not mm-hmm. this story isn't that no, no shade. The story isn't that imaginative because you know like we got the Doc Op name basically. <laughs> and then we got the American Puck. We're just re- we're kind of recycling, but it's still fun. It still mm-hmm. looks cute and I like this this American Puck. Like he has a nice design. He's English. I, he's, I was he going to say he's British. He's, he's English, <laughs> baby. Is he English? Oh, he's totally well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely English. Girl, he's a well, Brit. <laughs> well, I I inter- Interpreted it wrong, so my bad. <laughs> On so that, many levels. That was my Although, bad. Although, I feel like you're not far off. The characterization of a brash, loud, punch-through-the-wall kind of character seems pretty American. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what I thought. So, But apparently, what did you think about this character, Robbie? The little puck version. He's definitely uh, a character. He's <laughs> jumping around and, you know, punching first and then wanting to have a conversation afterwards. Because um, there are characters like this who typically tend to annoy me pretty fast. And this character didn't annoy me that fast. Took you a minute. <laughs> Is it because you found him cute? I think Robbie likes little uh, muscly people. <laughs> fire plugs uh, you're funny <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean he's a fun character he's a fun character with this story we get like back and forth with different stories which is what i like about like a lot of issues do you know mm-hmm. we get you know from the the bulldog guy and from Union Jack, and then we go back to the choir and her, like, you know, exploding telephone poles and all that happening. And then we go back to the hijinks with Bulldog and finding the investigation. And then we see one of my two, like, two of my favorite people in this whole thing, which I want to know more about, is Kelpie and Snakes. More Kelpie. I like her. I thought we were gonna, I thought this issue was gonna be about her because of the cover, but it wasn't. Mm. I, was, I was disappointed. Um, I was very disappointed, too, because 
because she's my favorite character in this whole little group. Yeah. <laughs> and she gets like two like pages and it's it's fine. I don't take offense <laughs> to it just a little bit. Um, but you know, it's I it's not my story. So <laughs> but I the we get like this revelation that snakes is actually full of snakes. Like mm-hmm. it's actually his name. And I mean, what did y'all think about that? When I saw that, I just the only re- reaction I could have had was just to immediately laugh. Like, wow, he really is made of fucking snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I think it was great. Like, what was it? The minor villain that comes in, Shifter. Like, Bulldog sees right through that. He's like, I know my dogs. This isn't a dog. And yeah, you've got all these, you've got all this stuff that suddenly goes on where he's like shifting and slipping away and, you know, whatnot. And then. <laughs> I mean, even Kelpie is, like, trying to help with, you know, like, the the frickin' water straight out of the air. And then Snake starts wrestling a dolphin. I mean, like, it was hilarious on so many levels. But then, yeah, to see as Snakes is being held aloft by this giant gorilla, he just, he literally turns into a mass of snakes. I'm sorry, that's anybody's nightmare. That would just be, <gasps> nope done done go ahead take me to jail nope i'm done <laughs> i mean that's i don't know what the what's the snake phobia called i don't know i don't know uh, probably probably herpophobia yeah that's me i don't do snakes um so i would be like i quit like for real i quit like, I'm, I'm out done. i'm done no more superhero owning for me this guy <laughs> that i was on a team with is turned into a thing a big thing of snakes like we all saw it coming because he's named snakes and he was hooded so we're like oh he's made of snakes but then when we actually see him be made right. of snakes we're like oh shit no that's not good so... <laughs> not cool man not cool <laughs> but like there has to be so much there has to be more behind that or at least i hope there's like more behind that but still that was that was freaking hilarious but uh, what i want to know is why did they name their little villain shifter this uh, it seems a little lazy like you could have called him proteus or or you know pick a mythical god to like run with or something but i am shifter bitch seriously i don't know (laughs) i know I don't know if this was the writer's intention to make the all the characters kind of in this in this book seem not as creative in names. Mildly comedic. Um, maybe. Maybe it's supposed to be that, but like all the names aren't really that creative. Like Kelpie, Snakes, Union Jack, Shifter, Bulldog. Like, Bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm liking this story overall. Yeah, but, still, right? <laughs> You're still like, though. Yeah, no, it's still like it. Like like constructive of critiques they're there yeah. you know? oh yeah absolutely <laughs> what did you think about it dante yeah the snakes being a bunch of snakes was like so <laughs> on the nose like i was just waiting for it the whole time yeah i mean i feel like a, a lot of these new characters that were being introduced to they just seem really derivative right like they're in in a way like they're stereotypical of some piece of europe what, whatever part that they hail from and so yeah it, it feels a little it, it kind of harkens back to the old days of comics, you know, where like someone's name basically like their real real person name also kind of implied what their abilities were going to be. It, it's so uh, unimaginative in a lot of ways. I'm I'm enjoying it. Like the characters are, are interesting. I love that Bulldog is like the first character so far that wants to be on a team with Union Jack. 
everyone else is still, <laughs> we still don't know why they're even around at all, right? I mean, they, they initially said they were there for mm-hmm. Britannia, and Britannia's gone. And oh, by the way, she was my favorite character, and they got rid of her from day one. I was like, where, where are we going from here? Right? <laughs> I know. She, they hard fridged to, her. Like, what the hell? Her design was so good. It was right? so good. Oh, my God. Like, I was ready what for a waste. her. To, what a waste. Yeah. I was ready for mm. her to take off. But... Step on me. Yes. <laughs> I was I was ready for the slayage. I was ready. Yeah. She had the sword. She had a sword, right? Yeah. She had a sword. Oh yeah. Sword so, shield. Like she looked good. And like she nah. It she did. Oh. <laughs> she might come oh. back. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe Girl, she'll they be fridged her so maybe hard. maybe she'll come mm-hmm. back in like the last uh issue. I'm about to say episode issue and be like splash page, cliffhanger. She's back, but we're also ending the series. So <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I do love this approach where all of these characters that they introduce from day one want nothing to do with this team if she's not involved, if Britannia is not there. And they definitely don't want to work with Union Jack. So it's it's nice to see kind of the building of the team from this point on, right? Bulldog is really going to be that first teammate. The others are going to be reluctant to work with Union Jack. But in the end, we're going to have maybe a somewhat functioning, dysfunctional team. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand why they don't want to work at Union Jack. Union Jack is very pretty. I would want to work with him, but it's fine. Um, I, I do want to point out, I'm glad that we get like a um, a woman as like the FBI uh, special agent. Oh, yeah. The lead detective. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, oh, cool. I would also like more, you know, people of color in this book. But I'm glad that we get a lot of women. So mm-hmm. or, or at least more women. Not really a lot. People like of more. color exist in the freaking UK. They they do they do and we have seen none but yeah. we, we mm. you know there's two more issues we got hope there might there might appear in two more issues you know it just takes some time sometimes you know it things take time so mm-hmm. speaking of things taking time the guy who is in like kind of charge of this group interesting segue right um mm. <laughs> is finally showing his power and apparently can like absorb people's powers Yes. And like drain them of their life force and then yeah, like he, shoots yeah. the guy. Like, woo. Yeah, well, because he's he's an ex-villain named The Sponge, <laughs> who was in Doc Croc's gang until he decided to like step away and try a slightly more quiet and and under the radar kind of life, apparently, because his powers were waning. But no, he still has the powers of the sponge, where he can sponge up other people's powers and and drain their life force down, and then he shoots the guy just as a frickin' bulldog pulls the frickin' roof off the car. And I'm like, either that car is super flimsy, which I mean, hey, it's it, it's a car in the UK. It could be, but I don't know. Dang, he's stronger than he looks. That name is he, so stupid. He almost caught the sponge red-handed. It would have been a wash. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god, that was so good. That was so good. <laughs> Oh, that was so good. I did not oh. expect it. How did I not expect that? But it was like, Ooh. I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> but it, oh. at least it does show that he's a little bit smarter and a little bit more underhanded 
than mm-hmm. most of the other characters that we've run into. Oh yeah, because I mean, he showed that he's a good actor. He oh, yeah. he he like absorbed that guy's life force, shot him, and then was like, oh my gosh, I what I t- I tried to stop him. He he did it. I'm like, man, that's a good that's good acting right there. You you get an Academy Award for that. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I guess Bulldog has like super strength or something because that's not normal, you know, human strength. No, no, he's but, like no. super strong and durable and short little fire plug, I guess. But we see with the last with the last page that Doc Croc actually has a choir and mm-hmm. is like putting flowers on himself and like touching her face very sensually. And I'm just like, uh, oh no, choir, scream at him, do something. What are you doing? So I... yeah, and I like that we get in the in the in the next issue page. It's very like a banshee siren esque yeah. cover page. Like that's really cool. Uh, but like, what Robbie? What was your you know your final thoughts of this issue overall? Honestly, I definitely like how it's kind of moving into its like own storyline finally and really picking it up healthy you know that's my bitch right there and i was really disappointed that we only got to see like a little splash you know she's a little water (laughs) and i called it a day like (laughs) y'all are killing me y'all are killing me like, like, I'm sorry, but this this book puns. begs puns, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, Robbie. Keep going. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the water, uh, that little splash of water is what, like, got the sponge to use of powers or whatever, but... <laughs> Y'all are killing me. I'm about to explode. All right, so... (laughs) Like, overall, it was a good book, and it definitely did slightly move into its its own, kind of like what what, what we were wanting. Like, issue two just needed to not happen. Like, issue two, like, needed to... This is what we were were looking for, what we were hoping for. But yes, the names are just... They're so on the nose. They're so derivative. You're just like... Really? Really? I'm kind of amazed that the lead detective's name wasn't like Sherlock Holmes. Like, that's on the notes of the show. It's like, really? But it's, it's, yeah. it's still fun. I still enjoyed reading it. So take I, it for what that is. I mean, I definitely agree with all those points. What about you, Dante? Your final thoughts? I'm, I am enjoying this book. I really enjoy when we get brand new characters to find out their motivations. And right now, I feel like for most of the characters, that, that isn't as uh, obvious at this point. How everyone came to be involved, what they want, what they intend to get out of the situation. Um, there's, there's so many more questions than we have answers for. And to think that we only have two more issues is kind of, you know, it makes me feel like I'm definitely not going to get everything I want out of this. And so I hope that we're setting up for seeing more of these characters in the future. I, I really hate to get brand new characters, get invested, and then move on and, and not see them again. So I, I'm optimistic that we will see them again in some format. But uh, so far, it's it's a lot of fun to read. And I look forward to finishing yeah, up. There's the so series. much more story to soak up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely agree. Like, I... I <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. You I did, could not hold it. You did I another pun. <laughs> I didn't even catch that first. I this is the punniest comic we've read in a while. No, this is the union. The it's really the dog. dog's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> the union part three, the punathon. Like this is what this was. Um, yeah, and like, no. Nope. 
like and this is like no shade to paul grice like Mm -hmm. i think like yes some of the names aren't as imaginative i feel like he did this probably on purpose and this is a good story like i want to see these characters if not continuous in this book then outside of this book somewhere in the marvel universe like i like these characters um but it is funny probably for the wrong reasons and i love that so (laughs) these characters just slither into your heart and leave you wet Oh, Raven, I love it. Between you and like all, all of y'all with your crazy ass puns. Okay. So rest in priest Britanna again. Let's, you know, send one up for her, pour one out for the homies. Um, let's hope that she comes back in the next issue or the last one, because she don't deserve that. We don't know much mm-hmm. about her, but she's too fabulous to stay dead. Right. Apparently the next issue is gonna be more about choir, but we also thought the next issue is gonna be more about Kelpie. So I don't know what's gonna happen, you know? Like th- everything's up in the air. We don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna just send my thoughts and prayers to Paul Grice and hopefully he gives us more puns in the next issue so thank y'all so much perhaps for if we if we keep singing his praises maybe we'll get more uh you're preaching to the choir <laughs> i don't know what else he has written so i need to look it up and be like hey let me at you please put more puns in your book so we can laugh Hey everybody, welcome back. And Nico here again. You know, we seek to cover every appearance of every mutant in the Marvel Universe. And sometimes that means we're covering some sort of, I don't want to say weirdy one-offs, but the Union has certainly been an interesting journey for our team. We've had a number of different voices covering the issues, and here we are sitting at issue number three of five. We're halfway through this series, and the team seems to really be turning around on this book. They went from a book that they were good on to a book that they look forward to actively. And while there isn't a whole lot of Krakoan mutant action, Raven, Rod, Dante, and Robbie found a lot to love in this issue. From the unique new characters to the sort of cheeky storytelling, there's a lot to enjoy here, and we hope you guys dig it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next segment of X is for Podcast. I'm Rodders. You can find me at Rod, the, on Twitter and Instagram. And today I have my fiance with me. I am Juan, also known as Chango ATX, across all my social media platforms. And today, <laughs> today we'll be talking about King and Black issue four by Donnie Cates is the writer. Ryan Stegman is the penciler. J.P. Mayer is the inker. Frank Martin is the color artist, and VC's Clayton Cowles is the letterer. So this issue opens up with Dylan is pretty much caught by Noel at this point. The last issue, he found him, and now he's basically trying to lure him over to the dark side. So while we have that happening, he hears a little voice inside of his head telling him, hey, Dylan, we have a plan. Just listen. And Dylan's like, what the hell? Now there's another voice? Because homeboy's got all these voices in his head at this point. But while this voice is telling him that we have a plan, Noel is telling him, you know, you're like a son to me you're like a grandson to me you're part of me you're part of Noel you need to be part of my hive so we can take over but this voice at the same time is telling Dylan like all right what we need to do is tap into him have him use his power and you leech off of his power that way we, you can control everything that he does you can disconnect the hosts off the bodies of everyone that's right now nullified so that's where we're at right now in this big old battle of good and evil he basically is like his 
his grandfather or like well great 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 grandfather and his great 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 grandfather is the god of darkness so that's gotta be like such a surreal thing for him to be going through all this all these symbiotes around him screaming at him telling him to submit to Noel and then Noel's like you are my family you know I already killed your dad just join me and we can rule the world like that must be really hard to not give into yeah and being a little kid you know not knowing exactly where to go when you're left alone he has no father figure he has no mother figure and he's been told you're the one so what does he do exactly but luckily he has this voice in his head to kind of balance him a little bit even though he tells the voice to shut up because villain is i mean dylan is very strong like as well so he doesn't really need the voice but the voice does kind of steady him wakes him up he's like hey you know what? i don't even need you i'm strong-willed i got this shut up i'm not gonna go to him he killed my dad and that's literally what he says is you killed my dad and then he tries to like he connects with Noel and is like i'm going to you know denullify all the heroes because he can't denullify everybody that would probably kill them but he can channel it enough to denullify the people that can actually help make a difference in this fight so basically he separates the host from the darkness and they're free and at this point all of them are getting the message relayed to their head about what's about to go down this is the game plan guys so we free dr strange who was um trying to get rescued by felicia black cat and her solo and she's got um a part of the life tree with her that she was going to use to free him but it overpowered her she basically is handing this over to, to strange because he knows what to do and there's a whole story with this with black cat black cat issue one through three that is already out i like i definitely suggest you read it it's a good read jed mckay knows what he's doing but also gives you a little more context into this scene because this scene is kind of out of nowhere the next page what we see is the big awesome reveal of dr strange and his god of magic outfit that we is actually a callback to donnie's um dr strange run from issue 383 where he went to asgard to get a piece of the live tree so he can become the sorcerer supreme again so it was a pretty awesome moment that he was able to do a callback to one of his original stories that kind of started the cape first thing and also in that same story where he becomes a god of magic he brings back the century so he's had this kind of plan in motion for a while there's a reason he brought back the century there's a reason he gave uh dr strange the god of magic power and we're about to see it happen right now yeah about to see it all unleashed like we see the person who was talking to dylan is also talking to strange and now that person is connected to cyclops who's storm human torch dr strange as well and thor and now they're all channeling their power to try to push all of the symbiote i mean nullified people in like the middle of new york mm-hmm. so you got cyclops going full power sue storm going full power and then god sorcerer supreme dr strange going full power yeah which was a badass moment to see everyone like just going all out because we got to see noel go all out so this was finally the moment where the heroes come back and get their second wind or their third one at this point actually and just let loose and destroy all these dragons and what we have coming up next is we get told that 
there's two things that are going to hurt the, the null creatures more than anything. It's magic and it's lightning. Yep. So who does that bring? Well, first it brings Namor and little black tiger. They don't matter. Well, it helps because they drown. They, they bring the water. They bring the water, which is a, a great... A great <laughs> We've had a whole solo, a whole solo tie-in to bring in water. Water is a great conductor for what? Lightning. And then we get Storm and Thor teaming up together to electrify the shit out of all like the symbiotic, you know, controlled people and the dragons and all that. And I do admit that that's kind of silly. That's all Nemo was here for, and all that's only the reason he was able to bring the Black Tide is before the water to drown New York. So after they use the lightning and water combo as a big conductor, um, that pretty much hits him hard. That hits no hard. So he's like down and hurting. They finally got him. So what happens next is freaking we have the moment of oh I got this that voice inside Dylan's head is about to take over and who is it? It is, is it? Jean Mother Freaking Grey. Woo! She gets her moment. We haven't had a Jean Grey moment like this in a while, basically since like X Men Red, because even in like the X Men stories right now, she hasn't really oh, had a moment. Like no, not like this. And she's like in Noel's mind, which is like that's in a that's a god of darkness, okay? And also, even before that, she was in the mind of Dylan and all these other heroes, and I think, I have a theory, I think that's why they were able to let loose so much, because she channeled some of her power into them. Because okay. if you look at the panel of all them unleashing power, Sue, Reed, I mean, uh, Sue and Cyclops don't unleash their power to that extent. Mm -hmm. I think they had a little boost from Jean, which yeah. makes sense, because she's a mega level, you know. Yeah. And what I love about this, about this whole panel, this Flash of like Jean Grey looking fabulous and all of her strength and glory. It's the fact that if anyone knows what it's like to be a host to a foreign entity trying to use you for their own power, it's her. So her having this moment with Dylan, I think, was so amazing. And I thought that was really smart of them using Jean Grey for this because she knows how it feels like to be used. And she knows how to have a god inside of her with a Phoenix Force. So I thought that was a really cool, like use of her. Oh, definitely. I think it was definitely cool and definitely a good connection that Donnie made with Jean Grey and Dylan. Mm -hmm. And speaking of like, you know, the artists and writers, can we talk about how Ryan Stegman ha has been eating up this series, especially with the pages after Jean Grey's revealed with her reading Noel's mind and oh, yeah. seeing the flashbacks of his like whole entire life, basically? That is magnificent art. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we get a, a look at Jean Grey trying to read Noel's mind because she's trying to discover what exactly is that he fears. What is it that will strike weakness in him? And she's she thinks there's nothing because, you know, he's the god of darkness. He's the god of everything. You know, nothing can hurt him. But then she realizes that there is. There is something. There's an other. An other entity. Another force out there that can negate his force. So there is this whole thing where that he's not really the darkness, actually. He's only the abyss. He's where the darkness comes too. He's not the actual darkness because before that, there was the light. And she senses the God of Light like coming, and she says, like, the God of Light is here, and I know some people made fun of Jean passing out in this moment, but you gotta think about like we said before, what Jean has done so far. She, you know, is connected with Dylan. She's connected and possibly amplified all these other heroes' powers, and then she connect on, like, a big level of this God of Darkness's brain. And she is not, like, 
like she's an omega level telepath but to be to channel that much into a god's brain takes a lot out of you and then to see all that and then connect with the god of light as well i would pass out too how could you not we see that out in outer space we have silver surfer coming but it's not silver surfer silver surfer is only the person that's trying to open up a gap so that god of light can show up because they can't come in on their own so silver surfer black is opening up this hole so that this entity that's inside of him can come in and i love it because um silver surfer says oh you're not here for me like you're not my power he's like go find your whole door <laughs> you know because i mean if you think about it everyone thought so everyone thought it was either going to be uh century century or silver, silver surfer, surfer or thor Arthur, who was the god of light. And, like, that makes sense. They're powerful beings. They've been seen as, like, the light bringers for in many other stories. And they've been written by Donnie. And they've all been written by Donnie, which is, this is a Donnie story. So it's like, oh, if all of Donnie's stories, like we said before, are kind of coming together, then they would be one of these people. But it also makes sense what happens next. Yeah. So Reed Richards realizes that these energy meetings that he's getting is actually the Enigma Force. That they've been miscalculated this, they've been calling it by the wrong name. They call it the Captain Universe, but it's actually the Enigma Force. And they're realizing that it is just like a symbiote, that it's looking for a host. That this whole time, the Enigma Force has moved from universe to universe, finding people's bodies as hosts for it, especially at a host for a time of need. And if there's ever a time of need, the person that needs it the most is... Eddie Brock. And Eddie Brock, we get that final page of Eddie Brock having the Enigma Force in his body, lifting him up off the gurney and you see him just freaking engulfed in this power. And if, like the Enigma Force says actually, it's Edward Brock. The, the Enigma Edward Force is Brock. very proper. It says, Edward Brock, you have been chosen. Do you think it would be like that deep kind of voice? Yeah, because I wouldn't be like, Edward Brock, you've been chosen. I don't know. I feel like that's very like, um, what is the word? That's very like hateful. That could be, that could be his voice. What's wrong with that voice, Juan? I don't want to hear you be the that's not my first of all it's not my voice even if it was I wouldn't care but if it was my voice that could I'm be I'm sorry the power cosmic to me the power cosmic the Enigma force is gonna be like big booming boy. the Phoenix force can sound like a catty ass bitch because it is a catty ass bitch I mean yeah but the Enigma force to me is gonna be this big booming voice yeah I mean the Enigma force isn't it isn't catty it's not like any of the symbi- like the main like dark symbiote it's not like the Phoenix force it's a pure energy yeah. like it is all knowing it is logical it it is it is basically the the godlike of humanity of hope. Well, it's the god of life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and I love because he tied this into Jason Aaron's run with the battle of the light and dark that we saw at the beginning of God Bomb during that whole Gore the God Butcher story, where he got the Necro Sword from the God of Darkness after the fallen battle between the God of Light and God of Dark. So the fact that he tied that in, and then he tied it in to his Doctor Strange run, then he tied it in to his Thor run, and he's tying all these amazing strings along his narrative is I think just you gotta give up for the man. I mean, yeah, I mean, we're definitely like, you know, we're in the Apple Cates group of Donnie Cates, so we're a little biased. But we definitely, you definitely have to give it to him. I mean, Marvel is definitely giving it to him too. That's why they created, like, volumes of his runs that are connecting together. And 
And I even love it not just in Jason Aaron's run, but also in Hickman's run. And all the other runs that I think basically, basically that you have seen Captain Universe is if you really look at Captain Universe, you can see that it's acting like a symbiote. Yeah. Like not as um, not as horrible or as no. deadly as no, the no, main symbiote. It doesn't try to control the person. Yeah. It never tries to control the person. It doesn't ask anything of the person. The thing that the Enigma Force does, it, it gives the person power so that the person's able to do something positive. So they're able to change their something, negate something in their life that has been hurting them or giving them struggles. Because I went back and I've read the old um, amazing stories of everything. Every time the Captain Universe, the Enigma Force, has shown up. It always comes to someone that is down on their luck, someone that's been bullied, someone that's been abused, someone that's been neglected. Um, and there's one story in particular where he comes into this cat burglar's body, and the cat burglar burglar was about to die because he was trying to rob from one of the big problem bosses, and the Enigma Force came and saved his life so that he can go and uh, bring down this big old crime boss guy. But as soon as that cat burglar tried to use the Enigma Force for bad, for evil, it left his body because that's not what it's there for it's supposed to be alive it's supposed to be a positive thing so um seeing it come into this story and seeing where we were with venom last time where he was inside the inner sanctum of like the symbiotes in noel's mind together yeah so that was really rad knowing that like you know in venom's story he's trying to find his way out and the enigma force found him to help him find his way out and this force apparently has been called back or referenced in donnie's run since venom number three and then it was in the web of venom Wraith to king and black number four and then even in venom number eight which by the way apparently donnie said that the maker knows so much more about the enigma force than our uh reed richards does so free maker fans like i am a huge maker fan i think the maker's going to be in the background for this somewhere i think the enigma force isn't going to leave us anytime soon oh i don't think so either i mean i think like donnie with all of his stories with any writer really uh they never really end something, you know? They always leave it a story opening to other passageways. Like, one plot leaves open to, like, five more plots. Mm-hmm. So, like, Absolute Carnage is opening in its way to King and Black. And King and Black is the opening of the way for some kind of, like, the maker event or the maker, you know, plot device or art that's going to happen. Right. And I, like, I, I, I definitely can believe that the maker knows more than Reed Richards because the evil people are always smarter than the, the good people, yeah, but just the... Yeah, but the evil people always like the monologue gloat, that's their downfall, yeah. which he does as well, which will probably be his downfall probably as well, but I'm excited for that. Yeah. Like, the fact that we see Noel do all this damage, and this might not even be, like, the biggest bad that we see, because the maker is on multiverse level. Yeah, um, this one is definitely going to uh, lead into some big stuff into this next issue. Issue 5 has got some main your work to do because we're gonna see Venom wielding the Enigma Force and Eddie Eddie, sorry Eddie wield the Enigma Force which dude like the last time we saw that besides Spider-Geddon I don't really care Spider-Geddon but the last major story we've seen him in was in Hickman's Avengers run yeah I think the Spider-Geddon one I think the Captain Universe that one was from a different multiverse Mm -hmm. so I don't think that counts as our Captain Universe Enigma Force so I guess technically we haven't seen the Enigma Force since Sigmund's run, which I hope even outside of this event we get to see like maybe where the Enigma Force is in. That's been a while. 
because the last time we saw it in Hickman's Avengers run, it came and took over a woman's body who had just been to the darkest, deepest trauma that she can experience. She was on her deathbed in the hospital. She had just gotten into this car crash. Her daughter died. She was in a coma and all this trauma was about to hit her. So the Enigma Force came and gave her a second life so she can basically right the wrongs in the world that were happening. Yeah. She got wronged, so the universe tried to make it right for her, and she is a powerhouse in that run. If you've never read the Avengers, Hickman's Avengers, I highly recommend it. Captain Universe's story in that is amazing. And I would say, like, we're definitely gonna get... Cause Eddie Brock is also used to hosting an alien, uh, for lack of better words, parasite, in his body. So he's probably gonna be, be able to even control the Enigma Force even more than all the past ones have. And we're gonna see, like, this all-out battle between Noel and Captain, I guess, Captain Eddie. <laughs> Captain Eddie. Um, and that's gonna be fantastic. Like, I feel like we've seen such fantastic art from Ryan Stegman and great story from Donnie. Like, this last issue, which usually the last issue of a, of an event is the best one anyway, at least for the five is the last issue. So usually the last issue for an event is usually the most impactful one, at least in action wise. So I feel like we haven't even seen all of the incredible art that Ryan has done for this event. Talk about leaving on like a hot streak. Donnie is about to dip out of Venom and he's about to leave this story in such a place where like where do you go from here? It's insane. Um, so what would you rate this issue? I mean, I think I've, I've rated all these issues so far really high. Um, but this issue was really well. I mean, I don't think there was anything that I would actually change in this issue, but I'll be I'll be fair and give it a 9 out of 10 just because I know everything can always be better and everything can always improve. I know that. So I'm not going to say 10 out of 10, but I will give it a 9 out of 10 because I I really enjoyed this and I think it has a good mixture of action pack, story development, and it has good pacing in this five issue event. I will give it a 9.5 because, you know, I don't ever want to give anything a 10. I'm, re I'm really hesitant to give things 10s. This is as close to a 10 as you can get. To me, personally, because you had that moment between Dylan and Gene and Noel, which I thought was phenomenal, of, you know, being torn in three different places at once, you know, and then Dylan coming into his own and being like, I got this. Yeah. Just seeing the heroes working together, seeing Doctor Strange get his moment, seeing Storm and Thor get their moment, seeing freaking Gene Grey get her moment. Like, this was an issue of moments, but it was also an issue of moving the story forward in such a way that you're like oh shit by the end of the of the last page you're like i need more yeah. i really need more yeah. because you just had this bombshell dropped on you which no one saw coming like at all donnie kept saying it's been there it's been there it's been there but everyone thought oh it's gonna be silver surfer black and blah 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 yeah. like people had speculation no one yeah. knew that you know the captain universe thing was actually else. Yeah. there's gonna be no symbiote the symbiote of God of Light, like it's just so like it's like there, and once you under like once you see it, you're like, duh, it makes sense. Yeah. But it's also like out of nowhere because you're like, man, this he really put all these pieces together that were kind of like all over the place in the Marvel universe yeah. and made them make sense together. 